If you will, go ahead and turn in your uh, Bibles to James chapter 2. I'll be reading from the passage of uh, 14 through 26. This passage is uh, one of the more difficult to talk through. It's one of the more difficult to... uh, um, to flush out in a lot of ways, and it's also um, very disputed in, in certain areas. And uh, so either I am a fool for taking on this passage for the morning or just overly ambitious. So I guess we'll kind of have a verdict at the end of this sermon, I guess. So, We'll begin in verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active long, along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Father, we just want to just come before you this morning and just uh, openly declare that um, we want to learn from your word today. We want to grow. We want your word to touch us and convict us. And Father, I just pray that the message today does exactly that, that your word has the life-changing, life-altering effect on us that it has the power to do. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I got a friend back in Texas. His name is Travis. Um, and uh, he is an, an amazing marksman, really. He, he is. I mean, I remember growing up and all through high school, this guy was, I mean, he lives to this day. He still lives and eats and breathes hunting. Um, I remember going to his house, and in his backyard, he had his archery target set up, and he would just drive one arrow in after another, and be able to hit a dime from 30 yards away, you know, on multiple occasions, one after another. And um, what he loved to do um, was go bow fishing. I don't know if any of you ever had the chance to do that, but you have, uh, he has his boat, and he has a platform on the very front of this boat, and uh, we ride the rivers, and uh, you have a bow that's set up, and it's uh, set up with a specific arrow to travel through water with a fishing, really it's a fishing reel on the end of it, 
And so you shoot this arrow at the fish and you reel it in. I was never good at that. Like, I, I never hit anything. The one time, uh, the very first time he took me out, it was nighttime, and so the, 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 the floodlights underneath the decking of the boat are shining into the water, and we're traveling along the water, and uh, it's about midnight, and I look down, and all of a sudden, this big blob comes swimming underneath the water, right underneath the boat, and I instinctively, of course, I'm scared, and so I draw back, and he said, you better not shoot that. And I said, why? He said, that's a beaver. If you shoot that, you're getting it off the arrow. And so these were the, the times that we went just all the time together. And, and I started teasing one day. We go on Sulphur River, which is kind of like the big black here. And the Sulphur River back at home, it would, had a lot of gar in it. Uh, and so watching him, I would watch how he would wait for the gar to come up and roll. And when they would come to the surface, they would roll. And then he would quickly draw and shoot and reel them in. I mean, it was something that fast, and this was open sights. It wasn't like, a, like our bows that we use for deer hunting uh, to where it's got a, a sight on it. It was open sights. And, and as I'm sitting there one day, we're, we're kind of a, a lull in the fishing trip, and, and I just jokingly said, you know, start calling him out, telling him how horrible of an archer he was, and just ragging him, messing with him, talking about how bad he was, and he couldn't hit anything. And about 30 yards away, there was this tree that was overhanging the river. And he looks over and he says, all right. I said, you, you can't hit anything. I said, you can't, you can't hit that snake over there on the tree. And there's a snake the size of my thumb. Now, I'm not exaggerating. This is honest truth. This is not somebody just, you know, uh, exaggerating for a sermon. This is the truth. And uh, there's a snake on this, on this tree branch overhanging the water. I remember, it's about 30 yards away. No sights, nothing. And he said, all right. I said, he said, I'm so good, I can hit that. All right. He, just as fast as this, let go of his arrow, let it fly, and then the whole time he's looking at me as he's reeling it in. And sure enough, he reeled in that snake. And that's what we're talking about today. James here is talking about, all right, you say you have faith. Well, show me your faith. Show it to me. And he talks about how we are to, that our faith that we are saying and declaring we have is evident by the works. You know, it's very important that we don't get this wrong because it is very easy to say, well, I have faith and I, now I have to go out and work. That we can't add anything to the gospel. Now, in the very beginning, I want to make sure that we understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But what, what James is talking about, this faith here, is an empty faith. It's a faith that is declared, and yet there's absolutely no evidence of that faith. And so that I just want to get that in the very beginning of, of what exactly he's talking about what he's saying and what he is not saying. What James is saying is that while faith alone saves us, it is a certain kind of faith and a faith that produces the good works. From the very beginning, James is saying this. He says it's possible to say that you have faith, but not actually have any at all. He's not saying that works must be added to faith because true 
genuine biblical faith is evident in your life. It is evident in every day that you're living in your communities, in your work, in your, in your families, in your homes, in your church. And it is evident by the things that you, your deeds, your actions. In verse 14, he kind of gives, he, he talks about um, reaching out to those in need. So let me go back and read verse 14 through 17. Well, good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's kind of painting the picture here. Here it is, you have somebody who says that they believe in Christ. And there is a brother, he says a brother or sister, so that has someone else among your congregation within your church, and they have a need. It's not talking about like they have, they're poorly clothed, like they have to go to a secondhand store and get clothing. He's talking about this person is in dire need to cover themselves. They may be naked. They may not have sufficient clothing for the season. They may be freezing because all they have are T-shirts and shorts, and it's dead winter. They may not have a meal from one day to the next. And he's saying, what good is your faith if you just simply walk up to them and say, hey, brother, put some britches on and go eat. God bless you. What good is that? What good is it for the person that is still in the need after you say such a thing to them because it is useless? We are meant to be a a spiritual conduit that through our faith in Christ we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and that we, as we receive the blessings from God, we are meant to be that conduit through which the blessings flow to those around us. And whenever we act out in such a way to where we're not, we're just simply saying, hey, God bless you. Hope you get warm. Hope you find a meal. Good luck. And then what we are is we are acting as spiritual dams. If you want to think about this big valley that has a river that has been dammed up and now it is hundreds of feet deep and yet the valley extending past the dam is barren and dry. When we are acting in such a way, we are acting like a spiritual dam to where we are withholding the blessings of God and we are to act as the conduit from which those blessings flow. Faith without works is useless to the brother and sister who is still without clothes and food, just as much as it is as useless to you because it cannot save you. Remember, he's talking about an empty faith, someone who just professes they have faith, and yet that faith and the understanding of what Christ has accomplished for us should create the desire for the works. You know, as I talk about this right now, I feel like a broken record. And, you know, it just seems like constantly this is something that's been on my heart and it's something that has been 
constantly coming from me in, in our youth, in, uh, in every uh, aspect, every avenue that I stand within. And, and there's a part of me that says, man, you sound like a broken record, but maybe we need a broken record. You know, maybe we need to be constantly reminded of this fact that we are called not to just profess Christ and then just go on about our lives, but we are to profess Christ and continue in being the blessings for others so that we are the mirror image of Christ in our daily lives. It says it's useless to you because it cannot save you. This is where it picks up in verse 18. So what Paul or what James has done is he he has now inserted a, a hypothetical person. Okay? He's now inserted a person that is uh, hypothetical in the congregation, a brother or sister who is saying these things, and he is having a, a, an argument with them at this time. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. Let me stop right there because this is, this is a really um, eye-opening uh, verse for me. What he just quoted was the Shema. And the Shema is where is um, the saying, of, oh, oh, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's saying, okay, you profess that. You say that the Lord is one. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. He just equated the person that says that they have faith and no works to the faith of a demon. If you recall, every time Jesus comes across a demon, what's the first thing to do? They profess that they know who Christ is. From their mouths comes, O Son of God, what are you to do with me? And it even says that they have an emotional response, that they shudder at this revelation. He says that somebody, what's the difference between a demon's faith and a true, genuine believer's faith? What's the, it's the evidence of their faith in their lives, in their works. And that's the difference between a demon's faith and a true, genuine believer's faith. I know it. Amen. So what he's done is he has, he has established this argument in his letter. This person is saying, well, things, and if you bring them together, well, that's You can't bring them together, that they're two different things, and if you bring them together, well, that can be dangerous. Well, his answer to that is, okay, you say you have faith, show me your faith. Show it to me. Leslie, uh, she, <laughs> I didn't tell her I was going to share this. She's looking at me right now like, what are you about to say? So uh, right now, uh, I'm about to be in trouble. No, seriously, um, at one time, we were trying to find chairs for our dinner table. And we had some chairs, but they are falling apart. And she finds some more chairs. Then we go look at them, and uh, we get them. And the lady's talking about how they've been restored, and they've been reconditioned. And I get them home, and I'm actually looking at them, and those chairs are falling apart. 
Uh, and so you come to my house and, and I will go to the chairs and I'll wiggle one back and forth. And so if you really want to know what chairs to sit in, don't sit in the ones that I walk past. Okay, I'm just going to let that, put that out there right now. Uh, but the thing is, is that what he's saying is, you know, I know what chairs I can put my faith in, in my house. I know the ones that are going to hold me up physically. I know the ones that are not going to break out from underneath me and uh, me fall on my rear end. That this is literally, I know which ones are going to support my weight. And what James is saying is, okay, you say you have faith, sit down. Sit in the chair. Put your faith to the test. Show me where your faith is. If you truly have faith, then what you're going to do is you're going to show that you have faith in that chair because you're actually going to sit in it. The next thing is that the intellectual assent to correct doctrine is not salvation. Simply saying that you know a lot about Jesus does not save you. You can, I can know a lot about someone. I can know someone's name. I can know their entire history. I can know everything there is to know about them. And yet I've never even spoken a word to them. And there is a difference in knowing a lot about someone and truly knowing that person. And what he's saying is that that goes back to that point with the demons talking about you can know a lot about Christ. Good job. Demons know a lot about Christ. Now this next part is one that um, when he brings... He brings us to examples. He brings us to the examples of Abraham and Rahab. And of course, you know, you understand why Abraham is an example. I mean, Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith. It was the faith that counted him as righteous. The fact that God made a promise to him, and it says that he was deemed righteous because he believed in the promise. But the, the point that James is making here is that his belief was made evident when he trusted in the promise and when he was obedient to what God called him to do in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, it shows that, uh, that, that Abraham trusted the Lord and he had faith in the Lord, but that faith was made evident by his obedience to the Lord. And you have him going up the mountain with a son. And I mean, don't, don't, don't take away the human aspect of what's going on. An heir has been promised to this man, and he, after decades of this promise of him and, and him living with this promise, he has now received the promise. They say it's approximately 30 years could have passed since then. And he believed in the promise, he received the promise, the promise was fulfilled, and yet now God has called him to now sacrifice the very thing that he promised to him. And as they're walking up the mountain, 
And, and Isaac looks and he's looking around and he knows what they're going to do and he's not seeing the things that are needed to accomplish the task. So he's got, Dad, where's the, where's the ram? And Abraham looked at him and said, don't worry, son, the Lord will provide. And he went up to the mountaintop and he, and he bound his son Can you imagine binding up your child and laying them on the altar? Here he is. Abraham is obedient. He's following through. Why? Because he trusts. He has faith. And it is in this act that his faith is, it says that it is made complete, it is made perfect because of the works that he used to show that his faith. And you come to Rahab. In Rahab, you have Joshua in chapter 2. Joshua has sent out spies, and these spies have gone into the city of Jericho. And these spies have uh, come into the city, of course, a spied out, And now the city has become aware that the spies are there. And you have this pagan harlot, this prostitute, professing the power and might of the Almighty God and being obedient by hiding the spies. It was because of Rahab that the spies were saved, that they were released and that God's people came to the city. You have this this image of this woman. Uh, It's not a a great image of a woman. Here it is. She was somebody that was either a a temple prostitute dealing with the Baal worship, or she was just a prostitute. Someone who was cast out of society, And yet, her faith in God, a God that wasn't even her own, was still shown through her obedience to his calling. And you have Rahab, I mean, she was used and blessed all of us in, in, after the fact because you look in the genealogy of Christ and whose name is listed. Rahab. Just to kind of clarify, there is, Abraham is used in in talking about faith, talking about works, and depending, and in Paul's writings in in Romans chapter 4, he says that it was Abraham's faith that deemed him righteous. And then you have James here saying, well, it was his works that deemed him righteous. But you have to remember that James is talking about a different faith, and Paul was talking about a different works. Paul was talking about a works that was a works of the law, was a works of the flesh. 
It was a works that is attributed to the desire to do the good things simply to be in the good grace of God. And so Paul and James are not contradicting one another. They're not arguing against one another. They actually are in complete agreement with one another in this. James is talking about a dead faith. A faith without works. A faith that is made evidence because of the works. Through the works. So that brings me to the third point. Faith without works is dead. The faith in our lives is made evident in the fruit of our lives. James is saying that deeds are the fruit of faith. And this is something that's in complete agreement with what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What's on the outside is evident, Oh, what's on the inside? No fruit, no faith. Charles Spurgeon, he, he wrote a quote. He has, he's quoted saying uh, this um, illustration about an apple tree. I'm not going to read the quote word for word, but the, what he spe- is actually... Life of the tree comes from the root of the apple tree. You plant it out in the orchard. The life of the tree comes from the root. And yet, in that orchard, if that tree is bearing no leaves or no fruit, then the people caring for this orchard will deem it as dead. Why? Because there's no evidence of its life. It's not the leaves or the apples that make the tree alive, but it's the fact that the tree produces leaves and apples that prove it's alive. Don't miss the difference. The apples and the leaves don't make this tree alive. The tree could be alive and perfectly fine. But the fact that the tree produces the leaves and apples, that's what proves that it's alive. Our, our actions, our, our deeds that we do on a day-to-day basis is, is what's evident of our faith. If we say we have faith in Christ, well, it's not that we say, okay, we're saved, now let's go out and do good things. That's not how it works. It is the overflow. It is the outpouring of the understanding and the love and the, the, the salvation that we have received. And that that outpouring and that overflow results in the good works. I said that I don't know how many times, and I feel like that's something I just, it's just become common that comes from my mouth because I have to constantly be reminded that. So easily can we get wrapped up in doing good things, and yet the good things apart from Christ are just simply good things. 
They aren't kingdom-focused things. They aren't Christ-driven things. And these things are as empty as if they were never done in the first place. Because what is our, what is our commandment? That is to go forth, make disciples. We are to love for our neighbors. And the evidence of that is the things that we are doing for our neighbors. It is the things that we are compelled to do that we do out of the love and that that just naturally results in good deeds. With this being um, last minute, I just want to say that uh, my, my study on this over the last couple hours <laughs> uh, resulted heavily from, from some um, great teachers. Uh, one of them, Matt Chandler from the Village Church. One of them also, David Platt of the IMB. And so I don't want to stand up here as if this all came through revelation completely and wholeheartedly of my own. I want to make sure that they are accredited with that uh, and in my studies of their material. Uh, I've been studying through their material for actual weeks, and so this is just something that has been on my heart for the last several weeks as we have gone through a James study with uh, Matt Chandler. And one of the things that Matt Chandler talked about was that uh, one, of his, one of his mentors, very early on in his, his walk, um, very on in his, his Christian walk with Christ, um, he had a mentor that shared something with him, and he ended up sharing as well. And what he said is that dis- discipline leads to desire that determines destiny. So discipline leads to the desire that will then determine destiny. And he, and, he, and he said that that's a great life quote, but it's a horrible quote whenever you try to apply it to Scripture. That our desire does not come from discipline. It's the other way around. He said our desire should lead into discipline that then determines destiny. It is our delight in the Lord, and it is our delight in loving Him and serving Him and worshiping Him that leads us to live a more disciplined life that then reveals our true callings in this world. And why is this important? One, I want to uh, share a, 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 um, an illustration that I heard from uh, uh, Francis Chan. And Francis Chan talked about how he, he gave this, uh, this vision of a football team. And I think I, I may have shared this before in here. I can't remember. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the illustration was that there's this football team, and they come and they meet every single play. All right, and they huddle up. The quarterback calls the play. They all get pumped up. They break, and then they go sit down on the sidelines. And they wait five to seven minutes, and they get back up, run back out on the field, and they call another play, and they get all excited, and they get all pumped up, and they go sit back down on the sidelines. And he talked about how the church overall is acting that way in many ways. 
We come together and we, we, we amen and we hear the message of God and what He's calling us to do and how he's, we're supposed to live and, and how that is supposed to be a direct reflection of our relationship with Christ. And yet we come, we meet, and then we, we amen and the, the pastor calls the plays and then we break and we go home waiting for the next huddle. And so it's really a challenge. It's a challenge for each and every single one of us to actually show our faith through our works. Not that we need to add the works to our faith, that, that, that our faith requires it to be good enough for salvation. But simply because we understand what our faith looks like and that that faith is just spilling out from every aspect of our existence as good works. Last night I was talking to Ben uh, McNear, and um, he and I were, were catching up, and we talked for about an hour, and I was kind of going over him, uh, going over what, you know, what today's message was going to be about, and he, he shared a story with me, uh, and it's a really powerful story, He's, and uh, I wasn't here during this time whenever he and Ben Stanton were down in Ghana. Um, I wasn't here during that time of his life, and uh, so what he shared was from that time, he said that they went to this village and they were in this church. And Ben Stanton was preaching on this very same thing. About how our, our faith is made evident because of the things that we're doing. And after he preached this sermon and after he gave this message, everybody got up and flooded out. Like, in such a hurry that they thought something was wrong. He said they thought that there was a fire. They thought that they offended people. They didn't know what was going on. And so they asked one of the people there, and they said, well, your, your, your message moved us so much that we felt compelled to go to a brother's house. See, this brother had missed reaping his harvest because of the rains. And so the congregation, after hearing this message, were touched to the point to where they thought about this brother in need. That if he didn't get his harvest in, he was not going to have any money. So the whole entire church flooded out of the, from the congregation, out into the community, to this man's house, and in their Sunday best, worked to help him bring in his harvest. It was an immediate reaction. It was hearing the word of God, and it was immediately not breaking from the huddle and waiting for the next. It was an immediate response to where they were compelled and felt the calling to go out and help this brother in need. And so that's the challenge. What is it today that you're going to leave here from and go do? Not wait for next Sunday to hear the next message, feeling that you're not equipped to go and do anything to preach the word to anyone, but realize that as we come here, have the place called, we're in the huddle, and we break and we go actually onto the field, remain, remain on the field, and make the play. So that would be my challenge for you to think about today. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this morning. God, I just want to thank you for uh, being able to come together with, 
with the brothers and sisters. God, to read your word together. Father, to hear the message that uh, cuts pretty deep and really close to home. And God, that you have called us to be the church in the community that we are currently in, where we are, where we are serving, God, and you have called us to service. And there's a community here around us that is, is hurting and is crying out for you. So, Father, I pray that during this season, the season of giving, that, God, that we will be compelled, convicted, troubled over, the, over what it is that we're not doing. And God, we just pray for revelation. Pray for understanding. That the work on the cross was sufficient for salvation. Nothing should be added or taken away from it. It was enough. God, you say that simply stating that we have faith doesn't prove anything. Father, we just ask that you will just continue to lead us and guide us in this, in this understanding, in this complex topic, difficulty of flushing it out, God, and, and that it will be just made evident in our lives from here on out. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.